Welcome to The House Report, a podcast with stimulating conversation on design, business, and leadership topics with thought-provoking content and interviews from industry shakers. I'm your host, Bernadette Capilong, aka The Accidental Entrepreneur. I'm also the CEO and founder of BC Design House. Today's segment focuses on hot topics, a discussion on popular trending topics that matter to all of us. I'm joined today with my colleague, Daniel Skelton. Today's hot topic discusses the 100th year anniversary of women's suffrage. How has this affected women in leadership? marks the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment, guaranteeing and protecting women's constitutional right to vote. This marked the largest expansion of democracy in the history of our country. How has this passage changed how women are perceived in society and in business overall? In the 100 years of expansion, are women perceived more equal today? Have we moved the needle much or barely scratching the surface? What work is yet to be done and how do we get there? Let's hear more on this discussion. All right, so we're going to be talking about uh, the 100th year anniversary of women's suffrage. And Daniel, thanks so much for um, joining us for this um, really thought-provoking conversation. I, I love subjects like this. So a little bit of background um, on the suffrage itself and, and some of the key folks that were responsible for passing the 19th Amendment. So it's 100 years as of um, August 18th, uh, 100 years ago. The women's suffrage helped pass the 19th Amendment, allowing women all the rights and responsibilities of citizenship. Right. So this movement was decades long. Uh, it was a fight to win the right to vote uh, for women in the U.S. Um, and interesting was this belief at the time that an ideal, the ideal woman was meant to be a woman that was pious. She was supposed to be submissive, a mother and a wife that should only be exclusively concerned with the home and the family and, and really nothing else. Right. So, um, so, and also, um, during that time, uh, activists like Elizabeth Stanton, she believed that all men and women were created equal. And of course, you know, they fought for these rights and alongside with her is, um, with Susan B. Anthony, who was also, uh, one in, one of the, uh, founding mothers of the National Women's Suffrage Association. So, so Susan B. Anthony, um, who's on one of the coins that sadly is not really being used anymore. They don't it, have that anymore. They don't have the Susan B. Anthony. It exists, but rare, it's a rare coin now. And I think when it first came out, I don't know how many years ago it was. It might have been it, definitely over twenty years ago. It was almost the size of um, a quarter. So it was wow. very. It's a dollar. It's, right. a dollar, it's almost the size of the quarter. So people actually mistaken it for the quarter. But she's on that coin, which I'm, I believe is the only female 
I think you're right. That I is in any of the U.S. currencies. I think you're right. I think you're right. So she was arrested for voting. Wow. And uh, interesting enough, whether you call it political or not, but I read today that uh, Trump is pardoning her, uh, pardoning her for um, voting. And so he's going to write that in now. So it's so interesting again, you know. Um, is he doing that because it's the 100th year anniversary of yes. winning suffrage? Yeah, he's folding it into the, the anniversary for sure. Um, he's, yeah, he's writing, writing that pardon as, as we speak, I guess. So very interesting, interesting choice. Yeah. I, I was reading, um, <clears throat> that, uh, one of the interesting facts about, um, the women's women's rights and women's suffrage movement is that so many women at the time were against the actual movement itself. Um, they set up different storefronts with informational booths throughout the country to teach other women about why they should not be voting. And, and it's, what were those reasons? I'm just curious. The, the, you know, some of the reasons I feel people still use today when they talk about why women shouldn't be in power, um, which is that women are too emotional to rationally uh, make informed decisions. Um, that women, uh, it, it's taking them out of their, their place, which is the home, being a homemaker, a wife and a mother. Um, and that these are the kinds of things that we need to leave to the men to, to figure out. So um, almost like making sure that we continue with the traditions, the gender traditions, right? The women, women are in the homes. Uh, cooking and taking care of the kids. The men are out there. Exactly. Bringing, bringing home the bread. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So I, you know, and it's interesting that, you know, some of those same arguments are still used a hundred years later. Now you still hear, you still hear and see, you know, commentators and everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that, People shouldn't be saying what they feel, but the fact that people are still using these archaic hundred-year-old arguments to implement, you know, gender, you know, reinforcements of, of gender stereotypes is is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, you know, is the fear of obviously the fear of change, the fear of losing tradition, the fear of role, um, you know, the roles of, of, of genders. And, and, and younger generations are here to teach older generations, um, you know, what that evolution looks like and also be the inspiration for new generations to come. Having said that, let's go back to uh, the women's suffrage. Um, yeah you were arrested for voting like that. That's just insane to me. It's, it's almost unbelievable. And it's hard. Um, it's hard in 2020 to imagine, right. That just expressing your feelings in a legal way is illegal. You know, right. you, you could be jailed for that. And 
I mean, these women had to fight so hard just for the right to be heard. Yeah, and, and what came out of that, at the end of the day, they were able to vote. Exactly. At the end of the day, they, they broke that barrier of we have a right to vote. And because of that movement, change happened. Yep, exactly. Change happened. Exactly. And, because and that just parallels what's happening today. But anyways, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, it was it was a long road. You know, if you look back in history, it started in, in the late 1800s that women started to campaign for their basic rights to vote and for their voices to be heard. It wasn't an overnight thing. It, it took up until 1920 for the 19th Amendment to get passed. They were saying that it was a decade-long fight to win the right to vote for women in the U.S. It took mm -hmm. activists and reformers nearly 100 years to win that right, and the campaign was not easy. Disagreements over strategy threatened to cripple the movement more than once. But in August 18th, 1920, so that is today, the, 19th wow, today. the Constitution was finally ratified, enfranchising all American women and declaring for the first time that they, like men, deserve all the rights and responsibilities of citizenship. Wow, wow. that was like... That, that makes it's my like, hair on right? my arms, a very little hair on my arms. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, wow, 100 years ago today, and okay. over 8 million women at that time voted in the next presidential election. Yeah, so they were saying that this National Women's Suffrage Association was founded by Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. Wow. So they began their fight for a universal suffrage amendment to the U.S. Constitution. You know, we're not evolving quick enough, you know, um, and it, 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 but you're right. I, I think, you know, it's been a hundred years and there are still, you know, men and women in our country that still believe that there shouldn't be women in leadership roles. Um, we see that in politics. Look at how long it's taken us to really, you know, we haven't placed a woman in the highest role um, in this country and in, in politics. Um, we've come close, um, but still there's always that part of our country that still believes that, you know, we're not ready for that. Whereas you look at the, the world, you know, or other countries who are evolved as well, like you look at the UK. I mean, Queen Elizabeth has been around for, I don't know, has it been a hundred years? I don't know. But uh, she's been around for a long time. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, she's been in that position. They've also had uh, Margaret Thatcher, who was also a very beloved leader, uh, prime minister um, in her time. The, the difference, and I, and I was reading about this, the difference between the women's right movement in the US at the time and the women's right uh, movement in um, Britain at the time was they were far more militant. Um, they called themselves the suffragettes mm. uh, rather, rather than the suffrage. Uh, in the US, they were called suffragists, right? And, and over in Britain, they were called suffragettes. And they were more militant in the sense that um, they would demonstrate in the streets, they would chain themselves to buildings, uh, they would break store windows, uh, there were you know, reports of, of some of them planning explosive devices. <laughs> so, you know, wow. these women were really, really physically fighting. 
you know, physically fighting for their rights. Um, but you brought up an interesting point that it's it has taken so long for us to get to um, to this place that we're at now, and there's still there's still a ways to go, right? But yeah. it's interesting to me that on the hundredth anniversary of women's suffrage this month, it's been announced, you know, that Kamala Harris is now on the Democratic ticket for vice president. Um, and I looked up some of her accolades. Yeah. Listen, listen to all of this. First South Asian American senator in history. Wow. Sec second African American woman senator. Wow. Wow. First African American and first woman to serve as California Attorney General. And the first African American and Asian American woman on a major political party ticket yeah. as Democratic um, vice president nominee. So that's a lot of groundbreaking there. That it really is. And it gives me goosebumps when you say that. And it also makes me think that it's great that you just listed that because I think we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that this is really groundbreaking, that it's not the case that we have you know, these opportunities all the time, you know, that you really see with, you know, the male population, um, you know, she has really, you know, created a lot of firsts here as Hillary Clinton did as well, right, in, in her role. And, uh, and I think that really does need to be celebrated. And I think it's the, it, it really is the time now that we need to be represented uh, in, in the highest office. I mean, I don't know if you know, but the population of women um, out, you know, outnumbers the men in this country. Wow. And, um, so we can be a very powerful force in combination with men. Um, imagine what we can do as partners in, in business, in innovation. What was that movie that had the um, African-American women that were in, um, it was a space... Hidden figures. Uh, what is it? Hidden figures. Yes. And like, who would have known that? We need to continue telling these stories. Exactly. Because I, I, these stories just don't get told. And I think it's important they need to be told because I think they are out there. They are, um, there are women that have created and been, you know, innovators in the past that have um, really led projects and, you know, to, to create history. And I, I think they just don't get enough of that type of publicity. And I think it's important that those stories get told. There's another, there's another show on, uh, I don't know if it was Netflix where it's a woman that like created the atom bomb or something, the nuclear bomb. I think she was part of that. Not that that is something we want to stand behind, but well, woman behind that type of thing. So yeah, I believe you're talking about radioactive. Right. Yes, it is radioactive. Um, girl, her name is. It's the true story of Mary Curry. Rosamund Pike, who's yeah. a phenomenal actress. A she phenomenal. Right. Yeah. And I haven't seen that yet, but have you seen it? I haven't it? seen that either, I, but I've heard a lot about it, and I ke it keeps popping up, and it's like, wow, that's interesting. I would never have thought. Well, I have a question. So as a woman running a business, how often have you felt like people are 
uh, wary of, of working with you once they find out that the owner of the company is a woman? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question, Daniel. And I think that I like to approach life um, not being a victim. And, and, and what I mean by that is that I, I never looked at my, I'm just going to call it my deficits, whatever, right? Uh, I'm not actually the average height. Um, I am an Asian woman. Um, you know, I, you know, was focused more on my career than I was on, you know, building a family at the time. Um, so I kind of naturally, um, went into this non-traditional role, not by purpose. You know, I just think that that's just who I was as a person. So I always say that I went about life kind of, you know, having these big dreams of, you know, I'm going to be president. I'm going to, you know, build a company. I'm going to, I had these big dreams and I wasn't necessarily thinking, oh, I can't get there because I'm this, you know, five foot tall Asian woman that is whatever um i just kind of like i'm gonna do it and see how far i get and so i have that sort of and i don't want to call it ignorance is bliss but i have that sort of like same kind of mindset when i go into business because i don't think of myself and I, i've said this before i don't think of myself as this five foot tall asian woman that you know i just sort of go into a meeting saying this is what i know this is how i can help you because I'm just going to still be myself and I'm going to still approach it with the same sort of mindset that, you know, you're coming to me for business. This is how I'm going to help you. Uh, if you have a problem with me being a woman or if you have a problem with me being a strong woman that has opinions, then maybe this relationship wouldn't work. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you one thing that I don't get intimidated. Um, and, you know, I think I used to in the past. Um, I well, used to work through that. Uh, how can how can a woman work through that and get to a point where she she can not be intimidated? My um, recommendation for you know sort of breaking that glass ceiling is really just to be yourself. Mm. That we don't need to come across as defensive in many ways. I think a lot of times it's natural to be defensive, like well, I'll show them, you know, and if, if someone doesn't want to partner with you, do business with you, then you don't want to do business with them either. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's, it is I, I think what happens and, and similar to this sort of women's suffrage is that there's a person inside that is trying to be themselves and they're being pushed down by society, by societal norms, whatever that is, they're being pushed down and eventually it's going to, it's going to come out one way or another, right? And I think what's happened with my own personal journey, I actually grew up in a family that was very, um, you know, patriarchal. Um, my dad was an immigrant from the Philippines. Um, we had a very modest living. We, we moved to Oakland, California in a you know, one bedroom apartment um, in Oakland, California at that time. I mean, imagine Oakland, California has come a long ways, right? But uh, we lived in this very modest um, apartment. He really was the American dream, um, did really well in his job, moved up to Oregon, bought a brand new home in a cold tech. So it's typical American dream. Right. However, we had very dominant male figures growing up in a very Asian 
cultural upbringing. So my, my dad was very much uh, a machismo of his own. My brother grew up that way. He was the eldest in an Asian family. But I was also a very shy little girl that um, I remember my brother always picked on me. And because he picked on me and I wasn't going to take it, I always kind of fought back. And I think that's where that sort of side came out where I'm not going to be treated like that. You know, yeah, you might be my older brother and tell me what to do, but I'm going to try to like assert myself. Right. And it, but it took years to get to that point. And even as adults, my brother and I, we still had that sort of pseudo contentious relationship where he always felt like he had to put me in my place. And I always, you know, took the route of I'm going to, you know, build my career in the corporate world. And as we grew older, I started coming into my own skin and because I had that pre-training yeah. of dealing with, you know, my brother and my dad, you know, dominating uh, our upbringing, my upbringing and me, the person that I am trying to assert myself, I became more assertive as I got older. And so naturally when someone, if it is, you know, whatever, if it's a man that, you know, feels like he has to put me in my place or whatever, um, I just naturally know how to react and, and I react in a way that um, I don't think is offensive. I just sort of react in a way that's like, okay, well, I'm just going to approach this with, you know, into intellect. That's exactly. usually my superpower. Exactly. Is, is my intellect. It's like, I'm going to approach this by my intellect. You're coming to me to help, you know, your business get to the next level. And whether you like me or not as a, you know, woman, you know, my goal is to make sure I get you there and I'm, you know, and I'm going to ignore, you know, those things or whatever. I mean, eventually it'll play itself out. If, if the person doesn't like a strong woman, it's going to play itself out. Right. right. I think we choose our clients, you know, very thoughtfully. And, and I think that there's always the case where someone might come across challenging, but I don't think it, comes to fruition, I think it sort of dies out right away because I think if that's not the kind of relationship they want to build, they'll seek it elsewhere. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So a hundred years, sounds like a long time, right? And it is, it is a long time, but really it's just a, a couple generations, you know? So a lot of people who do have this mindset of being uh, anxious to work with women or slow to respect women, you have to remember that it could have been as recently as their grandparents who were teaching them these kind of old fashioned ideals of what women were supposed to be, what women are capable of, and how women are gonna react and handle situations. You know, a hundred years, yes, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decent chunk of time, right? Yeah. You have a 60 year old man, I mean, it was not, that long before he was born that women still weren't able to vote. Women had very little rights and he right. was taught that by his parents and his exactly. parents. And his exactly. Parents. I mean, that's, that's how the generation was. And I, I tend to be very forgiving of that when I know it's a certain generation that was raised in a different way. Um, what I just ask of people is to evolve in the best way that they can because yeah. 
I think that is our role as generations come to be, right, is, is really to help evolve um, society and help evolve older generations and show them this is how this generation is going to approach parenting, for example. This is how this generation is going to approach, um, you know, marriage. We continue to evolve and we have to as a society. And, and, and younger generations are here to teach older generations, um, you know, what that evolution looks like. And also be the inspiration for new generations to come. Because exactly. my my eight-year-old is seeing a very different lens in society than obviously you have, yep. than I have. You know, and exactly. I try to teach him the, you know, that there are no gender biases. You know, that, you know, that you see a parent or you see you know, guardian, whatever in the school, that might be two women, that might be two men, that might be a grandparent, right? That might be um, an aunt, you know, it, it comes in all different sizes and shapes and forms that might be of a different skin color. Right. And I think that that is how we need to evolve and how we need to teach the younger generation. Um, so I guess the question I keep coming back to um, is, in the past 100 years, since the women's suffrage uh, passed the right to vote for women, how much progress have we actually made as a country? I mean, some will argue not enough, but... It, it seems like it was quite the slow burn to me, though, because if you look at 1920, right, and then fast forward to as recently as, you know, the 80s through um, up through the Me Too movement, right? Right. Women were being objectified still. Women are still being paid less than men. You right. hear reports of lots of um, inappropriate workplace behavior. So it's like, yes, we passed this amendment and, and it's, it's such a huge deal. But then why does it seem like progress has been so slow to, uh, to really – put women on equal footing with men in the workplace and, and in other aspects? Yeah, you know, it's a, that's a great question. And, and I started beginning, I started saying in the beginning about how, you know, some will say not enough because I think that, yeah, it's been a hundred years, hard to believe, right? You would think that we would um, really made, you know, further ground, but it's only been recent that this Me Too movement came to light. Um, which is creating yet another, you know, movement, which then spinned into, hey, if I'm doing the same thing as that, my male counterpart, I better get paid that. And it's showing up in things like, you know, the U.S. women's soccer team who um, had to fight for that for right. multiple, you know, for a couple of years now. And I think they ended up winning, um, but they had to prove themselves. And and there's that word again, right? Prove. Prove. I think that is the magic word that we have to continue proving ourselves. I mean, I don't know the answer as to why. Um, I know there was a, a superhero movie. I think it was Captain Captain America, or which one was the one that had the um, had um, Brie Lawson in it? Um, Captain is it Marvel. Captain Marvel. Um, there is a scene in there where Jude Law says, prove to me 
that you can do this, prove to me that you can do that. And she looks at him and, and he was her trainer, by the way, trained her um, uh, to fight. And she looked at him and she's like, and she uses her superpowers and throws him clear across, you know, and hits him like a rock. And she says, I don't need to prove anything to you. And wow. it's such a great line. And it kind of signifies exactly what we were just saying. It's like, why do we have to continue proving ourselves? I mean, I, I, I guess that that is the path. And I, and I think that, you know, like the Black Lives Matter, where we need our, our white counterparts to advocate for us, I believe the same with women. We need our male counterparts to advocate for us that no longer should they say silent, that they should advocate that, yes, women can do this job. If she's qualified, right? Not a free ride, but the opportunity to, to sit at the table exactly. with uh, a room full of men that, you know, give her that opportunity and let her rise to the occasion. But when you're not giving her that opportunity, we don't get to see the breadth of, of what a woman can accomplish. You know, Warren Buffett once said, I'm going to butcher this um, saying, but he said that um, women's participation in the U U.S. labor force rose from 32.7% in 1948 to 56.8% in 2016. Wow. He said, imagine what this country can do if they allowed women to do what, you know, they're intended to do, imagine how powerful this country can be. Oh, yeah. Imagine if, you know, if, if women, if people didn't have an issue with women in these roles, imagine how unstoppable we'd be. Imagine what, what types of innovation that, you know, would, would occur, what types of, you know, how advanced we would become, even more so, right? And I you think know. every woman who steps up and... Um, and, and make statements like that. And every man who who steps aside and lets a woman shine, I think that that creates a ripple effect, you know, and it's a ripple effect that our children see and that will spread to future generations. Exactly, exactly. And, and I think that that is how we, again, how we evolve as a generation. So back in, uh, it might've been 20 years ago, the U.S. women's soccer team with Mia Hamm. Do you remember? Yeah, of course. Team. Yeah. They were incredible. The women's soccer, the U.S. women's soccer team, is the dominant force in the you know in the world, right? They are unstoppable. Um, their um, bench could um, beat any of you know the top countries out there, and they've proven that what, two years ago, when that soccer team uh, dominated in the Olympics and that famous uh, last shot, they became world famous, groundbreaking in its own way, you know, the U.S. women's soccer team. And because of that, you saw little girls all over, not only in the U.S., but in the world, take up soccer for the very first time. You wow. saw camps popping up all over the place for women's soccer everywhere. You saw little girls across the globe saying, I want to be like them. And they supported 
these um, camps and put money, they invested money in it so that they can train these girls into champions. Wow. You know, fast forward to today with now Megan Rapinoe and, and that group of women uh, who dominate, you know, they had made grounds to some degree, but again, still fighting, still fighting for their rights. But it changed a generation, a couple generations of little girls to say, I can be a soccer champion too, just like my brother. Exactly. And, and that's what it takes is, is um, role models. Role it models, takes, leadership. Um, leadership. Um, it takes um, history, historic moments like women's suffrage, like Black Lives Matter. What a historic moment it would be <clears throat> if... Kamala Harris was elected vice president of the yeah. United States. That would be fantastic. Talk about historic. And I, I believe she could then go on to become the first female president. Joe Biden has said he's interested in doing just one term. He said it at times yeah. in the past. I don't know if that's still his stance. But, I mean, that would mean four years from now, we could have our first female president. Finally. 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 Yeah. And imagine the ripple effects that would cause in society. Oh, absolutely. I always say, you know, little girls don't don't have enough role models. And, you know, why couldn't they be the president of the United States? You know, and they probably doubt it because they've never seen one. But exactly. now the fact that, you exactly. know, you've got, and, yeah. And that's why I think that as important as it is to acknowledge, you know, 100 years of women's suffrage, I, I think that it's also important, equally important, if not more important even, to acknowledge the work we have still to do. Yes, right, exactly, that's well put, exactly. There's still work to be done, you know? We've, we've, we've made some grounds within the 100 years. Um, some recent more, um, you know, I guess activity, I would say, within the last, what, five years? I'd say within the last five years, you know, more than any other, chunk of time during my life so far you know so yeah yeah exactly but you're right I think we have a lot more work to be done and I think what it means is you know the generations um, you know the women today uh, the generations to come need to continue um, can continue not the fight but continue you know, pushing past barriers, you know, it, yeah, exactly. continue, you know, go past the challenges, just, you know, never stop dreaming. Um, never, um, I would say put those limiting beliefs because of, you know, society says that you don't belong there. We all need to band together, um, you know, women with women supporting women, men supporting women, you know, um, we need to continue leaning in as Sheryl Sandberg has, you know, coined, we need to lean in and continue that. Um, and, you know, and the women's suffrage, you know, decades, it took them decades to get to that point. So it may take us decades. Yeah. We hope it doesn't, but it may take that. Well, you know, though, I feel that we have a tool now that they didn't have. And I believe that tool is social media. Yeah. So, Point. I was just going to say the same thing is exactly. that I think social media, as much as it can be a detriment, I, I think what it, what it can do is, is really um, 
share, communicate, help us bridge the gap quicker. It can bring people together. It can make it easier for people who are people who might live in more isolated areas or uh, in places where they feel they don't have a support system. Uh, they can reach out. They can see other women, you know, who are doing what they want to do or um, they can connect with someone via Twitter. They can connect via Instagram, via TikTok. There's all of these avenues to find people who think and feel what you think and feel and who are fighting for uh, visibility. And and you can also encourage that by buying from, you know, female um, entrepreneurs. Yeah, female business owners, yeah, supporting uh, women-owned businesses. Exactly. Um, and... and yeah, and organizations like uh, the WBNC, um, who really help um, pave that path and, and support women in businesses. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that those those systems are in place to really help get the word out there, help um, you know coalesce a, a group of people, um, you know, to stand for certain causes, and I think you know get us to that goal, to those goals, a little bit quicker. Exactly. Than, uh, the hundred years, but yet honoring what our four mothers have done to, to pave the path already. I think that needs to be honored as well because they had to struggle and protest with less tools, with less support. Imagine wow. the battle that they had to undergo in their world. Yep. Right? It's like it's truly inspirational. It's truly inspirational. This hundred years is, um, you know, I'm glad we're celebrating that um, today, August 18th, um, and we'll continue to honor that uh, moving forward. Love that. What a fascinating discussion on the 100th year anniversary of women's suffrage. With a look back at the complex history of women who have broken barriers and glass ceilings to create change in society. From Susan B. Anthony to Kamala Harris, women continue to fight for gender equality and a space at the table. Whether it's the right to vote or the opportunity to hold the highest office in our nation, the movement continues. Today we celebrate, we reflect, and we are triumphant, but our work has only begun. To my sisters and friends, we will continue to advocate onward and upwards. That's all we have time for today. I want to thank my colleague Daniel Skelton for joining me on this hot topic discussion. For our listeners, you can find this episode and many others on our podcast station, anchor.fm backslash BC Design House. That's H-A-U-S. Find us on social channels like LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Our website address is bcdesignhouse.com. This podcast and episode was produced by BC Design House. Until next time, stay inspired and always be curious. Thanks all.